Welcome to Video Store. I am Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 1999 film Being John Malkovich. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, Sam. Uh, Barrett, I hadn't seen this movie in a while. I feel like when it came out, I saw it multiple times, and then it's probably been a a solid decade or more since I've seen it. So this was a really interesting one to uh, to go back to. Um, let's start with uh, your history with this film. So this came out in 99. 99, yeah. And I'm pretty sure, sometimes I can picture a theater in my mind, sometimes not. I, I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theater. Um, and I'm sure I saw it one more time again after that on uh, on video. But I don't, I don't have a strong memory of where or when. I just remember, as I said last week, kind of being um, astonished by the way uh, the movie kept avoiding dead ends in the plot. Uh, by, by, by the way, it kept building kind of different variations on, on, on the theme. So that was the strongest memory I had was, wow, that was not only did he have an incredible premise, but he actually knew how to take it in really interesting directions. Right. And, and it's one of those things that, yeah, uh, as I was reading about it, they talked about how difficult it was to kind of market this movie, because how do you explain the idea really quick? I mean, you can say the idea in a sentence, but then it leads to so many questions that it's like, is, is that a movie? Like, how, how can that be a movie? And um, one of the things that I found um, interesting is in the the reviews, uh, Roger Ebert wrote a really rave review of this. I think he, I think it, he gave it four stars and mm-hmm. um, said that, you know, rare is the movie that surprises you with its premise and then surprises you more in the last half hour than it did before. And in ways you didn't expect mm-hmm. that, you know, and, and this is definitely true. Like this movie, turns and turns and turns in, in lots of different ways. And that's largely due to uh, the screenwriter, Charlie Kaufman. Um, so what is your history with Charlie Kaufman? Yeah, I, I have seen um, most everything Kaufman's written or, or, or directed. Um, he uh, he had written a film before, before this, I believe, called, yeah, I think it's called Human Nature, uh, which is um, really an interesting film about connections between human behavior and animal behavior. And then of course, Adaptation, which he, which he wrote. Um, and then um, let's say Synecdoche in New York, which was the first film he directed. Uh, and then the film he directed with the stop action puppets. I never, I never can get, I can never get the name of that film quite right. Um, that, and then I just watched recently, as I know you did, I just watched his latest one on Netflix. So I'm thinking of ending, of ending things. And what's interesting is I don't think you you picked this movie with the idea that Kaufman had a movie coming out this weekend. This is the second time we've done this, uh, I think, accidentally. Um, So what I find interesting about him is that my first experience with him is being John Malkovich. And this feels like the kind of movie that, okay, once you write this, that like you're probably never going to be able to write something else again because like this because like it's such a weird specific thing. It's like, how do you, in some ways, how do you top that? Or how do you, how do you do something else? I mean, it, you know, I think about, um, there's this famous story about uh, Picasso and one of his really early masterpieces. And, and one of the other art critics at the time said, we're going to find you hanging behind this painting at some, sometime. Like there's no way you could ever this at this point in your career, have your first thing be this, this weird and interesting. And then like, it's like, how do you follow it up? And what's interesting is he has. I mean, I think I think the I haven't seen everything he's done, but I think the movie adaptation, which I had to watch a few times to realize I really thought was amazing. The first time I, I saw it, I was angry at it for all the reasons that he wants you to be angry at it. And then I realized, oh shoot, he wants me to be angry at it. 
And um, and then I, the more I've seen that movie, the more I think that's that's just a brilliant movie. And um, without spoiling anything, uh, I'm just curious, what were your thoughts on I'm Thinking of Ending Things? Because that is a that is a uh, also a very uh, if we're talking about movies that do things you haven't seen before, for me at least, that was a really interesting movie. Well, two things. In in, in some ways, going into it, um, having watched the preview, I thought I th- it may, actually made me think of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is the other one that we I didn't mention. Um, but having watched it, uh, it's Synecdoche, New York, on steroids. Okay, um, seen Synecdoche, New York, which I just love. I love saying the title. <laughs> I just think that's an English professor's dream. Um, uh, if you've seen that film, and I've only seen it once. Um, it's also one of my daughter's favorite films. There's a point in that film where you're not quite sure um, at what point you slipped from some kind of objective reality into some kind of alternative. Mm-hmm. And he kind of takes that idea and runs with it for the entire movie, uh, uh, the, the, the new one. I mean, to me, that's what the, the, what's interesting about that movie is it's really hard to know um, where, quote, reality is and where it isn't because you know it's as you know it's a movie that as with being john malkovich it's a movie that is concerned with the nature of our identity which mm-hmm. i think is one of kaufman's fundamental themes is what does it mean to be a human being what kind of creatures are we what is what is our identity um the most recent one is also more concerned it's also more concerned with time as well which is not as much of an issue in being john malkovich but i certainly think that notion of identity who are we how do we know could we be anything uh, th- th- that's what Kaufman's been trusting. Right. And I would say my take on, on the new movie, uh, and this is without spoiling anything at all is, um, I, if I judge things by how much they stick with me, it's, it's almost too bad that I had to watch being John Malkovich after I watched, I'm thinking of ending things because I'm thinking of ending things made me think a lot. Um, and that movie stayed with me a lot to the point where, um, and this is my recommendation for anybody who who's who watches it and is interested or even confused by it. So the next morning, I went and got the book that it's based on and read that. And to me, this is one of the most interesting conversations between a film and a book. And it, uh, and 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 I haven't read the uh, the Orchid Thief, but I have a feeling the Orchid Thief and adaptation is a pretty interesting conversation. But this one even more so because I think I actually think the movie needs the book to exist um and i because because reading the book there's there there are things that it's like oh that this is what he was basing this off and look at the things he didn't include in the uh in the movie uh and so the movie made me want to read the book and the book made me want to read maybe want to go watch the movie again um so it's one actually one of those rare cases where i would say somebody should watch the movie first and then go read the book if they're mm. if the movie makes you interested enough if you watch the movie and you're like what is this? I'm, I don't like this. Don't go read the book. You know, maybe not, but, but for me, I, I thought it was less, less of an adaptation and more of a conversation with that Mm -hmm. book. Um, and, and, and there are two distinct pieces of art that are based on the same idea. Um, but, but are very, very different. Mm -hmm. Um, and one is a, you know, and and this gets me to think about, and maybe this is a way into thinking about being John Malkovich is when we were talking about, memento uh one of the things we talked about is like this is something that only a movie can do Mm -hmm. you know and um being john malkovich might fit into that category pretty well too i think that that it is because it there's elements of it that um i mean i i I don't you think this could work as a novel 
I don't think I, you know, I, I, it, it wouldn't pose the same challenges that Memento poses, right? Because Memento gives you a temporal experience mm -hmm. that you cannot have it, it reading. I, I think actually be, being John Malkovich is a, it really is a brilliant development of, of an idea that I don't think actually has to be incarnated in film. Okay. Um, I, think it, I think it's more effective. I think I, I think the visual elements of the film are in fact important, but I don't think they're as essential to it as say as say is the case in, in Memento. And I and I really am interested in, uh, in in reading. I'm thinking of ending things as I'm having a hard time understanding how that works in a fictional in a in a discursive mode. So. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I it's one of those where I think the movie does it better, but I think the book explains explains more and which which um yeah i mean the last thing i'll say about i'm thinking of ending things is that it is uh it's way more of a horror movie than i expected mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah which which i i'm not necessarily a huge fan of that genre but like i it worked on me like i was terrified throughout that movie which was kind of great like i just didn't know what was going to happen and i was afraid whenever somebody walked into a room you know <laughs> what they were going to find yeah, yeah yeah um so where to start with being John Malkovich? Um, maybe, maybe I'm starting with with the 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 person of John Malkovich because one of the things that Kaufman said as he wrote this is this wasn't being fill in the blank, but it was specifically this had to be John Malkovich, and they had yeah. to work at getting Malkovich to uh, to to agree to this. Um, and agreed to be in it. And at one point he had, he had tried to say, well, let me direct it and somebody else can play Malkovich. <laughs> but they're like, no, like you have to, it's gotta be you. What, who was John Malkovich? Who is he? And who was he in 1999? Well, that, as you know, I mean, the, the film actually makes fun of that, right? Because when he gets in the, in the taxi and, and the guy says, oh yeah, yeah, you were, you were in that thief movie. Um, <laughs> So I mean, I mean, Malkovich was, I mean, he was a marquee I and mean, he was a name, but I'm not sure he was, you know, he wasn't Jim Carrey or Tom Cruise. In fact, I think one of the producers said that to, to uh, Kaufman, right? Why can't it be being Tom Cruise? Um, so, I mean, you know, he was, I guess you could call him an A-list star, but I wouldn't say that he was necessarily, ironically enough, a household name. So, um, but Kaufman just, he loved the name, he loved the sound, Malkovich. And, and, and so that it had, it had to be Malkovich for that, for that, for that reason. So. Um, and I imagine they talked about about uh, I think I think it was Spike Jones and one of the producers. It might have been Coffin, but I think it was Jones. One of the producers went to France to try to convince Malkovich to do this. And I have to imagine again this this the script is such a weird story that reading it had to be almost like discovering the portal, like. <laughs> yeah. You know, having this realization that, like, who would even think of creating art that is about getting into my head? Right, right. But in not, and not someone's head, but specifically my, my head. head. Yeah, it's my head, Schwartz. It's my yeah. head. <laughs> which, 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 in a sense, is something that you can imagine Malkovich saying to Kaufman, right? I mean, come on, you can't do this. This, 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 and of course, that's the whole. I mean, that's why it's almost like kind of the Quaker boat, the Quaker oats box effect. It's like you know, this endless regress of who's the puppet master and who's the puppet um and it's also you know kaufman is the original puppet master because you know through your imagination which is the whole point of puppetry it's kind of a physical manifestation of, of your imaginative desire to manipulate other people and just by by the virtue of the fact that kaufman can write the screenplay he's actually got john malkovich dancing on the end of his strings 
Right, right. And and we get to see Malkovich um getting to portray instead of portraying a character on the outside, I mean he, there there's moments where he has to be uh John Cusack's character, you know. And I mean it, it and it's it's sort of a maybe a more elevated version of like the movie Face Off where it's like right. where you have Nicolas Cage playing John Travolta or John Travolta playing Nicolas Cage like like you have to he has to be a little different when he is when he's Cusack and he, and he pulls that off I mean you know it, it, I think he should have got I don't think I don't think he got nominated for an award for this but you know the scene for example towards the end where um uh Cusack, Cusack has him do that dance of despair <laughs> and you know he's doing it for for uh, for Maxine for Catherine Keener, and I honestly forget that it's John Malkovich. I'm I mean he just begins to look like this puppet to me, uh, and so to me that's that's it's one of the the bravest, least um, ego driven performances you possibly could give. And that's to so to me that's one of the reasons why it's really admirable. Yeah, yeah, and, and speaking of puppet uh, puppeteering, another thing that. Uh, before I rewatched this, if you had asked me, you know, what was my big takeaway from seeing this originally? Uh, and, and I don't know how much of this is Kaufman and how much of this is Jones, but I remember the first time I saw this, that this movie came this close to convincing me that like maybe puppetry is the highest form of art. Like when you watch the stuff in the movie, you're like, this is so beautiful and weird. It's like maybe, you know, and, and then there's that, the great uh, moment where, in the sort of fake documentary where Sean Penn is talking about puppetry and he's like, well, nobody wants to rush into it to look like we're just copying him. But like, I think eventually we'll all end up being puppeteers. <laughs> and it's like, I kind of felt that way watching, watching the the puppetry scenes with the actual puppets where it's just like, I never thought about it being that beautiful, but it actually is quite beautiful. The, the, the scenes of, of watching him do, you know, Abelard and Heloise and watching him do, you know, some of these, um, even with even the giant puppet with the um, ballet company, and you're like, this is gorgeous. Well, you know, that's a really interesting point, Sam, because what's you know the um, the author whom I did my my dissertation, Joseph Conrad, was actually a, a great admirer of puppetry, and he says at one point that what he loves to watch the puppets, and he says something like, with strings as thick as fingers. So what's 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 really interesting is that it's the very fact that it's an art that doesn't hide its artifice. That at the same time makes it, I mean, yeah, watching that giant puppet in the uh, in the ballet, it's like, how do you do that? Um, so, so there's a way in which it's it's art, which is clearly art. It's not asking you to suspend disbelief. You never you never forget you're watching an inanimate object being manipulated. Uh, so it's the very opposite of you know certain kinds of of of, of cinema verite, for example. But at the same time, it's the very fact that the technique is exposed that you admire it. So it's a real, it's a paradoxical art in that sense. Yeah. And I will say the Kaufman did this to me one other time, which is when I remember watching adaptation and part of why I was, why I didn't like it the first time is within the movie adaptation is the attempted movie of the orchid thief, which is a real book that he was working on, on adapting. And, um, I was so enamored by the orchid thief story that was being told in there that I got angry that we didn't get to actually see that to the point where I remember watching that and thinking maybe like rare flowers is the most important thing. Maybe I'm just like easily manipulated into thinking this, this, this weird obsession is the most important thing. But I remember what my first memory of watching adaptation was 
we're not paying enough attention to flowers. Like that's actually the, that's the most fascinating thing in the world. I think I'm also prone to reading a, a, a long form article and just being convinced like, yes, this is, this yeah. is the most important thing. Um, so when you look at this, at this movie, you talked about sort of themes of identity and, and stuff like that. So I kind of want to want to hear your thoughts about, you know, what questions does this movie actually raise? Because is there, <laughs> I don't think there is there an analog to the portal in our like in our actual lives because or because at one level you could say well this raises questions we don't really need to wrestle with because there probably isn't portals into other people's minds or is there? Well, I mean, I I, I think I think I think I think part of what's going on I think the, the yeah I think the analog is um, the the desire that we have to be somebody else or to be different from who we are. So I think that's played out most realistically in the film, in a sense, in um, Craig's pursuit of Maxine. Um, you know, Craig obviously desires Maxine. Maxine has no interest in Craig whatsoever. And so the only way that Craig can uh, attract Maxine is to, is to literally be somebody he isn't. Um, but isn't that a game that we often play, right? You know, how, how can I... You know what is it this person wants me to do, or what is it this person wants me wants me to be? Um, and you know, just just tell me. You know, tell me what it is I'm not doing right, and I'll and I'll fix it, and then maybe you'll 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 like me. Um, and, and 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 there's also other levels that less dysfunctional levels, right? Where I mean, isn't that what relationships rely on? Um, okay, I need to modify my behavior because I know that it really bugs her when I do this or when I don't do that. Um, and and when we do those things, I don't I don't I don't think we we think we're necessarily manipulating the other person or but but we may think well I'll be a better person if I actually if I actually do that. The 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 other thing I think it connects with is a um, uh, a quote by Oscar Wilde, <laughs> which is actually in the most recent Kaufman film. Um, Wilde says, and I think to me this is something that Kaufman had in mind when he when he did um, this film. Uh, Wilde says, most people are other people. Their thoughts are someone else's opinions, their lives and mimicry, their passions or quotation. I mean, think about, think about what, what it means to be original. You know, I mean, because of the romantic movement, we think originality and uniqueness is, is, is so precious. But, but how many of us are really original? I mean, I think what Wilde is saying is a real challenge. I mean, how many opinions do you have that are your opinions alone? How many thoughts do you have that are your thoughts, thoughts alone? Um, so where's the, where's the line? You know, um, who, who am I apart from the influence of other people who I want to be like or I don't want to be like? So I think in a sense, that's, that's the premise the film is kind of running with, which is we don't all just live inside our own heads, inside our own, our own identity. We, we move in and out of other people's minds. And in fact, Craig at one point says, right, that that's, that's what he loves about puppetry is the opportunity to actually be someone else for a while, uh, to get inside their skin. And so in a way, the film takes that notion of imaginative projections, we like to think of it as empathy, and turns it into something else, right? Turns it into possession, turns it into, into manipulation, exploitation. And what's interesting is as I was reading uh, more re reviews written with some distance from the movie. So in the last, you know, five to ten, 10 years, there were so many references to saying, oh, this movie like prophesied where we were going with the Internet and with social media. This 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 ability to um, 
a to project a vision of yourself out into the world which didn't exist in the same kind of way to create a platform and a projection for that but also to live in someone else's projection you know if so if you're following someone's instagram and someone's twitter like like you can you start to see life through their lenses kind of right you see the projection that they want to put out but but there is this sort of connection especially to uh different kinds of celebrity in that way. And so there was a lot of talk that like that, that Kaufman, whether he knew it or not, you know, was able to sort of create this thing, which, which reads almost differently now, you know, in, in a world of, of social media. And there's actually another version of that, which is a connection I hadn't thought of to this, to this now. And that is that last week, another scholar was outed as somebody who had pretended to be um, African-American and had kind of built her whole career on identifying herself as a person of color. Um, and it turns out she really, she really wasn't. Um, and she was doing that, of course, partly because she, that, that was an extreme instance of uh, identification on her part, but it also became a kind of, um, a kind of manipulation and falsification. So I think people do, you know, so it happens for various reasons. But the other thing I want to say is you could think about this film as predicting where we're at now, but it also, I think that what there's a, there's a kind of a, an inside joke in this film, which I may, maybe other critics have, uh, have noted this, but I haven't seen it yet. And that is, I kept thinking to myself, why, why do you get 15 minutes inside Malkovich? So 1968, Andy Warhol says in the future everyone will be world famous for 15 minutes and i'm i'm, I'm pretty convinced that that's what coffin was picking up on right. um, that you get to be you you get to be john malkovich you get to be world famous for 15 minutes and there's the great it, one of the other things that that struck me this is true for a lot of the movies we've we've rewatched here is this movie was way funnier than i remembered i remembered it being pretty dark and, and, and in lots of ways serious, but there was lots of funny moments. So that speaking of this idea of being, being John Malkovich for 15 minutes, the first customer they get when, cause the ad just says, would you like to be somebody else? And they're like, can I, he says, can I be anyone? And they say, no, you can be John Malkovich. And he's sort of like, that's not my first choice, but that'll, that actually, that works. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, another theme that, that I didn't remember that, that is at least in this, in in two places um is sort of thinking about trauma like childhood trauma so so when uh at the towards the end when lottie and maxine go into the port are chasing each other through the portal they're chasing each other through malkovich's subconscious and his and his sort of repressed memories of sort of traumatic childhood experiences and then we have the chimpanzee who mm -hmm. also we see through his eyes, mm -hmm. a, a childhood trauma. Um, where does that fit into this? No, that 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 that's a real. It really is an interesting correlation, right? Elijah, Elijah the chimp, uh, finally able to um, kind of atone for his inability to save his to save his his, his parents. Um, I, 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 I think I think it's an it's interesting in that it kind of plays with the notion of. Um, Kind of the the various tiers to our consciousness or our, or our identity, you know, because because at one point Dr. Lester says, well, you know, we 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 can't go in there while while Craig is in there because he'll he'll shove us down into the subconscious. 
So, so it's so it's the idea that you know being John Malkovich is is more than just being kind of at the top of the brain. Uh, there's also these these basement there's a basement level that you want to be aware of uh, as well. So I think it's a, a little bit of a poke at Freudianism, you know, mm -hmm. if we're, we're going to go into the mind, what it does actually look like. Yeah. Another thing that I found interesting in this movie, um, and this is again, thinking about it through 2020 eyes. So 21 years later, um, is the sort of the, the issue of, of gender and maybe gender fluidity in here yeah. that, mm -hmm. that when, you know, I, I have to admit, probably when I saw this in 1999, when when Lottie talks about like, I think I gonna I need to transition into being a man. Like, I think that was played in my head as sort of a joke. More, yeah. I thought, and now I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, like just like that. That it's not it's not aged poorly, but it's really aged differently. To think like, oh, if you actually were somebody who felt your gender was a little bit more fluid and then going into the body of somebody of a, of a different gender and like, like, like having this sort of realization, like that was, that was very, very interesting. And I was thinking about the fact that this film came out in 1999 and then there's another very famous movie that's been reinterpreted from 1999 in terms of thinking about, um, thinking about gender, which is the matrix. Mm. Um, because the, the, the two at the time brothers who made that, that, that film are now, uh, both, both have, yep. um, identifies women that the Wachowskis yeah. um, and have, have transitioned and a lot, there's been a lot of reimagining the matrix to say, well, isn't it interesting that these two men who I, who personally had identified it as women made this movie about the world, not be the, the sort of external physical world, not being the reality of the world and that there's this other reality to it. And it's like, so, so, so that, that movie has been reinterpreted that way as well. So it's interesting in 1999, we were right on the cusp of where there were things coming out that now you look at and say, Oh, that's actually really, I, I find really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think that's exactly right. That was one, of, that was really one of the things that, that, that struck me that, um, you know, this, this notion of somehow there being a, um, a divorce or a conflict between, um, your body between body and gender, um, and you know I I, I love the, the flip side of that. You know Lottie Lottie thinks that maybe she's actually a man, but then the flip side of that is um, Maxine says to her, I just love this line, uh, behind behind the stubble and the too prominent brow and the male pattern baldness, I sensed your feminine longing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, uh, I think Maxine is one of the more interesting characters in here, and it speaks to uh, one of the things in this movie, which is I. It's it's interesting to think about like who is the, I guess in a character in a movie about point of views, who is the point of view character in this movie, um, and not not that there has to be one, but it is sort of interesting because it starts and you think, well, this is a story about Craig. Cause, cause you're sort of, it feels like you're seeing things through his eyes and he's the person who's in a situation that he, that he's unhappy with. And so is this, is he going to go find something? And then there's definitely Craig becomes the villain of this story, mm -hmm. to, you know, when he sort of takes over and Maxine sure seems uh, to have only selfish intents through a lot of the movie, but Craig is the, Craig is the person who gets punished and Maxine seems sort of floats through it in a, in a different kind of way. Or is this, I mean, I don't, it doesn't seem like this story's about Malkovich. It seems like maybe this story's about Lottie. It seems like maybe this story's Lester's story and we just didn't realize it. You know, like I, I found that the layers of that really interesting. And I found Maxine to be the most interesting of those characters because um, she seems 
hero and villain are not useful terms in this, but she seems like a villain throughout the movie, but her ending is not the ending you would associate with a villain. Yeah. No, that, that's that's a really interesting point, Sam, in that, yeah, you, you, you begin identifying with Craig, and then, you, as you said, he turns into a villain. Um, I begin by thinking that Maxine is just awful. Um, I'm not sure I ever really like her, but I realize that she actually uh, has an She actually does care for Lottie. Lottie is the one who's kind of the most put upon, in some, in some, some respects, the most sympathetic. But I, but I I know I, I think in some ways um, it's an, it's interesting in that I don't think it's a film that really requires or expects you to identify with anybody, mm -hmm. um, which in a sense makes sense, right? Because it, it kind of means that you you move in and out of different consciousness. You can say, well, I can see why it looks this way to Craig. I can see why it looks this way to Lottie, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Even why it looks this way to Malkovich. But I don't I don't feel it's interesting to me. I feel like it's a movie that. It asks me to commit to the idea of the film rather than to any individual in the film. Um, I mean, it hooks us with Craig initially, and then it uh, then it unlooses us. And so by the end, I actually am not sure what I'm rooting to have happen. Right. Right. I mean, I'm really not sure. I'm glad. I'm glad that Craig gets kicked out. Um, I guess you're right in a sense. I feel a kind of. Uh, a kind of attraction to Dr. Lester and his motley crew. But I, I feel, and this is true of a lot of Kaufman films for me, um, I think there is a certain amount of intellectual detachment, um, especially in this film. And even in, and even in the more recent film, as you talked about it being kind of a horror film, and um, I was thinking about that and I was contrasting it to a Lynch film. Um, because if I told you the plot of Kaufman's most recent film, you might say, oh, that sounds like David Lynch. But I would say, yeah, but you don't get a Lynchian feeling. And, and I think that to me, that's that's true of, of Kaufman's films. I always feel maybe that's a little bit of a Kubrick element even a, or even a Christopher uh, Nolan element. I, I always feel there's a certain amount of detachment from what's, from what's going on. Um, so that's what I felt with this film. I didn't feel like I needed to identify with anybody because I was really interested in the changes he was ringing on the basic idea. So. Right. At the same time, though, I felt for people <laughs> like like I it, it, I didn't I didn't feel like it is requiring me to. But I definitely felt for people throughout it, which I think is was means it's effective in that way, too. Like, I didn't feel like my relationship to them was at a distance or cold. I felt very much connected to them as they were going. Cause even at the end, it's funny because as much as I feel like Craig is the villain, I feel terrible for him at the end. <laughs> This, this idea of sort of being stuck and only being able to look out at the world and not being able to to live in the world. Right, right, yeah, the, the, and right, and that's where the dream, his dream, as he said earlier, about being in somebody else's skin, that's where it turns into the nightmare. Uh, and I think that, which I think is why it's so brilliant that Kaufman has that happen to him, um, because the, he has to go to the kind of that that logical conclusion. Of course, what you don't know is well. So what about Malkovich and all those people inside his head? What's heck, what's going to happen to him? We, we right. just don't well, know. Well, and, and, and does Malkovich just cease to be like, what happens to the consciousness that was Malkovich's consciousness? Right. Is, exactly. is, is, is Lester just the puppeteer for the rest of time? Yeah. Does that make him a bad guy for stealing <laughs> the, like, like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. And, and I think Kaufman is quite brilliant in deflecting your attention from that unanswered question. I yeah, mean, because it's, it's yes. a huge, it's a huge dangling plot string, but you don't notice it. Yes.
I will say you will be very happy to hear that as I was watching, I'm thinking of, thinking of ending things. I both thought of David Lynch and thought, "Now nah, Barrett would say this isn't like a David Lynch movie." <laughs> I knew enough to know that this was that this was different. Although I did feel there were moments where I was like, "Oh, I would. I wonder if he had adopted this. If he had adapted this novel, like what what would it have? What would how weird would it have been? And, and in what different directions?" Um, other things about this movie that uh, that you want to talk about. Um, well, I, I, I want to circle back just for a minute to the idea of um, identifying with or caring about characters, because I think at some level um, in a comedy, you can't care too much because there will be too much pain. Mm -hmm. um, if, if bad things happen to a character, you know, there's the, there's got to be a little bit of detachment or just too much pain. Um, I, I, one, of the, one of the other things I really I really like about the film is there's a kind of um, there's a kind of bathos rather than rather than pathos at work here, and that is this, this notion that Craig has this um, in this dance of death and despair, um, and and the story of Heloise and Abelard um, expressed through puppets, and, and 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 there's something about the notion of you have these you have this deep existential theme um, expressed in an art form which in many ways is associated mostly with with children. Uh, and Punch and Judy shows and that sort of thing. So at the beginning, when he's putting on the Heloise and Abelard thing, right, and the little girl is <laughs> watching, and the father turns around and clocks him. I mean, to me, that kind of expresses exactly, I mean, that, that's, that's Kaufman again saying, yes, there's something uh, amazing about puppetry, and there's something almost silly about saying that puppetry is a way to express uh, these really deeply existential themes, just like the huge bell of Amherst, uh, right. you know, and and reciting Emily Dickinson's poetry, poetry, which of course is, and and the poem that's being recited is the poem about um, about celebrity, um, and how ridiculous that is. And then that's actually a great little fact at the or a little like moment at the beginning because. Uh, there's a, this line from Craig about how no one's looking for a puppeteer in this wintry climate, but at the same time, he's living in a world where there is this wildly famous puppeteer doing these huge. So it's like, actually, this is a world not that's not our world. This is a world who has embraced this like big time puppeteer as you know as, as the the sort of height of what could, this is on the news. This this big puppet, right? So right, so the, right. you know, and, and that just occurred to me right now as we we're talking about this. It's like. Well, yeah, it's it's not actually. This would be a good time for puppeteers, you would think. Yeah, I mean, if, yeah, if this is a world in which a puppeteer gets prime time TV, uh, it's a pretty good climate for puppeteering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, one other thing that I uh, just just want to point out that I um, didn't remember till I got to the the final credits, and this is just a, a shout out to one of my favorite musicians. That uh, one of the producers of this movie is Michael Stipe from REM. Mm, That's yes, my favorite yes. band. So I was like, oh, great! I you know I get the Another connection to uh, to another another artist that I love there. And and in, in the fake documentary, one of the people I interviewed is, is the director Dave Fincher. Right, right. Yeah, yeah we, I guess we, we should also mention the uh, the the kind of insane cameos there <laughs> that that are, that are throughout this. And I'd forgotten all of them. Um, you know, some of them are are really fleeting. Like there's like a second and a half of Brad Pitt on the yeah, screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, I think Andy Dick is in the crowd and um, that yeah. one of the things, but then there is the, the extended cameo by Charlie Sheen, which oh, is Charlie Sheen. Uh, I almost fell out of my chair when I saw that just because he, even who he is, who he was in 1999 compared to who he is, who he is now, now post 2011 as, yeah. yeah. as uh, it almost makes you, it almost makes it a better choice to be like, yeah. like, 
like you know maybe all this did happen and uh you know and 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 sheen's gone you know over the deep end as he's hung out with malkovich post lester entering into him or something yeah and, and he's got that great line about what is it hot lesbian witches or something like right. that and then and then he shows up later on with that ridiculous uh, balding uh, balding forehead <laughs> Um, there's also a little grace note that I really like about the film to speaking of, um, leaving, uh, uh, tying things up, you notice at the end when Craig comes out, it falls out of Malkovich for the the last time, he's got the original piece of wood in his hand (laughs) that he had when he went in the, the first time. I also love, I just love this, this connection between, or this difference between you're in John Malkovich's head and now you're on the side, by the side of the New Jersey turnpike. Um, I mean, having grown up on the East Coast, I, I have a lot of associations with the New Jersey Turnpike, and it's it's it sort of symbolizes everything that's grody about Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so to the point where when they fall out and they're sort of muddy and dirty, you're you're unsure what is causing it, and they always seem to fall out. Yeah, and it and into into this mud, and it's like, well, is that the mud from Malkovich? Is that the mud from here? Um, so, what do you have for us next week, Barrett? Well, I think uh, I, I think I want to continue this theme of obsession, and uh, and go and go uh, pick a, a movie that I know is not in, among your favorites, Sam. But uh, oh, I like uh, it. I like. I know where this watch, is headed. Watch it for your own good. Uh, so I want to watch Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. Um, and it, I think that ranking movies is is silly, um, but fun. So, uh, you know, we've talked about the AFI list, but there's also a BFI, the British Film Institute list. And for a number of years, Citizen Kane continually uh, was topping that list, but Vertigo kept creeping up. And finally in 20, this past year, Vertigo emerged on top. So now Vertigo is, according to the BFI survey, is the quote, greatest film of all time, which as I said, it's silly, but it's still fun. Um, Anyway, so I think it's a really, it's been a very influential film. I think it's a really interesting film. It's probably probably my favorite Hitchcock film. And what's interesting about that BFI list, which I don't think I'd seen until you sent it to me, is um, where the the AFI list is American films. Right. The BFI list is world world films, right? Like they're from they're from all over. So it was interesting to go through that list and realize not only how many of these films have I not seen, but how many have I never heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that you know that 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 sort of creates an inspiration to say, okay, I need to expand my. I need to expand my my viewing a bit more too, uh, and reach out. So I'm actually really excited to to watch Vertigo. I um I, I had a feeling this was coming based on an email you sent me. So I actually asked my wife and daughter um, who we watched this together about a year ago. I said, "Would you guys be up for watching Vertigo this weekend?" And they were both very excited. So um, I think it's going to be a family a family viewing of Vertigo. And I, I will say, I like the movie Vertigo. It's okay. just not it's not like at the apex for me. So so to me, hearing that again lists or whatever but hearing that that like it has passed citizen kane on a list sort of makes me sad because i love like citizen kane to me is still still is up there and and vertigo like i don't and so actually i'm really curious to 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 hear and we'll talk about this next week i'm curious to hear why you think this movie has over the last 20 years especially really risen in the way people view it um because like you said it's sort of been climbing you you, Mm -hmm. um uh and also we'll have to look at like where it has been historically on lists because i know in the afi as they've updated that list it is also climbed there as well so um but that is a conversation for another week uh barrett thank you so much for uh watching and discussing being john malkovich with me we will be back next week to talk about alfred hitchcock's vertigo in the video store (laughs) 